This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. Welcome to another, actually it's not just another, it is a very special episode for the main reason that this is the two year anniversary of this show. I have been doing this thing for two years. You know, I'm just going to give myself a pat on the back. Yeah, audible pat on the back. Hopefully you can hear that. Anyways, I'm just excited. It's awesome that I've been able to keep this up for as long as I have, that so many of you have shown an interest in this, and I just feel, I don't know, I feel really grateful for this, and it's awesome. I was planning to announce something super special in regards to the way that you, the listener, can become even more involved with the show, which sounds insane, I know, but just just wait for me. One more week, got to get a few ducks in a row, so to speak, and then I'll be able to show you what this awesome stuff is. So, anyways... That was, I tease you for a while and now it's anticlimactic and I apologize for that, but give me, give me a minute. Anyways, the guest this week for the very, very special two-year anniversary episode is Una Kim from Keep Company, which is a shoe company from Los Angeles. They are globally recognized. It's a pretty big deal. Just go to, uh, yeah, Google Keep Company and you'll see what I'm talking about. They make great shoes, but uh, I met her through my day job and then quickly became intrigued with her, not only because she's running an awesome ethical business, but she has a lot of roots within the sort of punk DIY community, and I immediately wanted to know more about her because she, she seems to come at it from a different angle than a lot of other people do. So anyways, her story in a minute. Let's get some business out of the way. Propertyofzack.com. There's something super exciting that's coming up. A partnership, a deeper partnership between us and Property of Zach. I'll tell you more as it as it kind of comes about, but there's something cool in the works that I'm I'm pumped on. So yes, but visit their site in the meantime. Great news. Visit the show's website, 100 wordspodcastcom Email the show, 100 wordspodcast at gmail.com. Continue to review the show if you're feeling so kind. Hey, I'd like to give a shout out to Saving November. I know uh, I've corresponded with her on Twitter, and we're you know we're we're internet friends, no big deal. But uh, she she listened to the show for a while, and then she was gracious enough to leave a comment. So there you go. Thank you, Saving November. I pay attention to that very regularly. And uh, yeah, there's I don't think there's any more business other than Tom Richfield, our producer, is amazing. That's all I got to say. Anyways, Una Kim. I met her through my day job. Like I said, she immediately intrigued me because she started talking about, uh, oh, like, you know, art punk shows that she used to go to in, in Baltimore where she was raised. And she just, you know, offhandedly mentioned, you know, like a Discord house and other areas of interest in my own personal introduction to independent music. Yeah, as I got to know her a little bit more through my day job dealings with her, it, uh, it became apparent that I'm like, she's going to be, she'll be a good guest on this show because she's grown this company from absolutely nothing to, you know, being an awesome shoe company that's done collaborations with Boney Vare, Tegan and Sarah, Animal Collective. Like, you know, you think Coachella, and basically that is exactly what her shoe company is. Everybody is wearing those shoes at Coachella, and they they don't suck. That's the thing. Like, there's a lot of 
you know, dumb shoe companies that are like, okay, I get it. You're on the sort of cool indie hipster tip. And, you know, you're just, you're kind of douchey. That is not keep companies' stance, philosophy, aesthetic, et cetera, et cetera. So emailed with her. It was like, hey, I was kind of timid about it. I was like, hey, do you want to do this? I don't, I don't know. But she immediately jumped at it and said, come to my office. We will hang out. It'll be great. So, uh, yeah, this is what transpired. And I will talk to you afterwards. My own personal introduction to to what you do. Okay, cool. So, because you've done two collaborations with Bonnie Bear, right? No, just one. Just one? Mm-hmm. Okay, and that the first one you did with him, or well, the only one you did with him, that was like what three years ago or so, or was it more? It was two years ago. Two years ago. I think that's where I tripped on that because I think I saw him promoting it and was like, oh, what is this? And then kind of, you know, peered down the rabbit hole and was like, oh, wow, yeah. there's this thing and this is awesome. Um, do you find that usually when people trip across your stuff that they have that sort of like, oh, wow, like I didn't know this existed. This is cool. Or do you find that like people that find out about you through, you know, band and music stuff, like, did, I know it's difficult for you to gauge, like, how they interact with you, but, like, how do you feel that, you know, the music stuff is obviously important to you, so that's why you keep doing it, I right, presume. Right, right. Um, so the people that enter your shoe world through that, do you find that's obviously different than people just finding out about you because it's fashionable? Um, I think it's actually, like, more real or more relevant in a weird way because for me anybody who knows me or anyone who's read an interview about me probably um, knows that indie rock and punk rock were the complete foundation of my youth sure and all of my formative years were like really deeply shaped by that so um, for me doing uh, collaborations with bands that I love, um, they're always pretty natural and organic mm-hmm. and um, it makes complete sense to me. The first one we did was with Animal Collective, which are dudes that I grew up with and have known for more than half my life. And um, they, you know, to do a collaboration with them was so natural and so easy and it just makes sense that um People who found out about Keep through that collaboration, for example, mm. um, were already kind of aligned to liking our aesthetic and liking sure. what we stood for because they come from the same background. So I feel like part of Keep's DNA is really reflected um, uh, by our relationship with music. Right. I think, like, um, I'm not trying to talk poorly about other larger corporate sure, brands, sure. but I think a lot of really huge corporate brands they'll do kind of like cool guy marketing and youth marketing oh, and, totally. and do these collabs with bands and and they probably do have you know uh consultants or creative directors who are who come from that um culture yeah but it's not a fundamental part of that company yeah um whereas in for us when we do a collab with a band i mean that is literally like the dna of sure. keep yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's pretty, you see those collaborations happen, or those partnerships happen, and it's, I mean, it's pretty transparent, and you can easily see why it's like, oh, yeah, this band got paid $600,000 to do this thing. Right. Like, do you think that they're excited about, you know, performing in front of, like, this logo from a disembodied, you know, like, headphone company? Right. Whatever. It's like, there's no... Right. 
there's no like connection from that. It's not really as relevant. It's not right. really as pure. Um, and for us, like I always, that's the thing that really dictates what we try to do is we try to do projects that we feel really connected to and feel yeah. really genuine about. When I first started Keep, that was kind of the big motivation for me um, from a day to day perspective was to do a business that I could feel very um, genuinely inspired and genuinely. Um, relate to and that really resonated with me on a personal level and I think that that is really imbued in all of the things about keep flaws and all you know so um, we're not a perfect huge corporation with tons of money to to make everything you know super smooth and and super luxurious and we do our best we're real small we do our best um, but we're real honest about it and we we try to be as like real and have as much integrity as possible and I think that's like the number one thing that I mean that's really like what drives us as a brand sure sure well I think that I think there's something I mean especially what I've noticed in pop culture over the past I don't know whatever three to five years Mm -hmm. where it's like I see people people identify and attach themselves to things that you know are are honest Mm-hmm. Are, are genuine and like it's not just a feeling it's an actual like you see this like you see you yourself you see that embodied within the company as as opposed to you know other things that obviously grow so large that it's like you know the, their their voice is distorted right. so it's like people that you know a, a person that trips across your stuff is going to have a much longer lasting relationship because they see it's just like oh well this like this is you right. this is like you know, this isn't some like oh, like seven people removed and like oh, like I, right. I don't I, where where is this like where is this person that runs this thing or whatever? Like, there's no there's no correlation between the two. Totally, I think I mean that's the hope. You know, yeah, that, yeah, it's, yeah. that it's sustainable yeah. and that um, you know that our customers or the people who are fans and the people who I mean, and we really are. We owe so much to our fans and our friend, friends and our family, and they really they keep us afloat. That's what you know. We do it for them. Totally. That's definitely in the dream, you know. Yeah. And hopefully, like, there's enough people who care about what we're doing to keep us in business. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's really different now. Um, on one hand, I think that there's so much access to different collaborations, and there's so much. Corporate brands are so savvy now about doing um, youth marketing things. Mm-hmm. You know, when I kind of actually did youth marketing back in uh, the early 2000s right. and um, worked on a, a bunch of campaigns that were like, it was really revolutionary at that time. Yeah. Just so funny to me now. You right, know? Right. Um, and and to see it now, it's like everybody, all corporations do it. But it's, it, to me, the difference is, is back when we were doing it and then, you know, you I saw it really as an awesome opportunity to pay, um, you know, independent artists or totally. creatives, like really mm-hmm. hook them up with a lot of money and yeah, funds yeah. And, to, and to really expand. And that was great. Totally. Um, and... And that was still even real touchy because I came from such a punk background that was so it was punk almost, rock guilt. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. almost like looking. You know, you look kind of down on it of to like. And nowadays, every major cultural event is 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 financed by a huge corporate. Not every, but almost right, all of right, them. Right, right. And it's common. It's right. common, and and people are a lot more comfortable with it, which I think is cool on a certain on one hand. On the other hand, I think that. What I have seen the trend is is that a lot of corporations really don't put that much financing behind. Um, maybe before, if I did a project with a band mm-hmm. um, and I had a huge corporate sponsor, I would try to get them a really significant amount of money to make it sure. worth their time. Of course. And nowadays, it's like I feel like 
everyone just does everything for like so little. They're basically just hiring out creative. Corporations basically hiring out creative. Oh, totally. And that's that's a little disappointing to me because I I feel like they should be spending their money um, really supporting the arts and supporting right. culture um, a little bit more than they do. But whatever, just try to be positive. And yeah, it's yeah, cool yeah. that you know that they are even invested, you know, at all. And right, right. That, that that there's that sort of like trickle down phenomenon. Where yeah. It's just like because I, I look at something so interesting in a case study that I pay attention closely to is like you know like what uh you know what Scion has done within right. you know the metal community. Right. Where it's like they sponsor these free shows and it's like. Right. And that's been, you know, it's a long-term plan where it's just like, I, mean, I remember I traveled down to a festival that they did in Atlanta. This was like, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where it's just like walking around. I was like, well, for one, I don't see any branding. Like, it was just one of those things yeah. where they're just like, we're just sponsoring this. And it's just like, the amount of money is staggering. Yeah. As far as how much... See, that's awesome. Right, right. That's so cool. And I, and I and I think there are some brands that are really committed and dedicated. Totally. And I think there are a lot of brands who really uh, treat it like culture disposably still. Right. And that that's the kind of stuff that I, I don't... I'm not really Yeah, you don't feeling. identify with. Yeah. Right, right. And, um, and, but I think corporate sponsorship now is, it's, a, there's a lot more ways to do it properly, which is great. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a, it's yeah. a different ball game now. And it's definitely something that I had to adjust to get comfortable with, you know, myself coming from my background. So. Right. Well, yeah. It's, and speaking of your background, the, so you, cause you were born and raised in the East coast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, where? I grew up in Baltimore. I was born and raised in Baltimore. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, so we grew up. Uh, in Baltimore probably. Like no suburbs? No, no, Baltimore County. No, yeah. Baltimore County. Okay. I grew up in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Baltimore is a really small community. It's awesome. Mm. I think it has such a rich uh, creative culture there totally. without any of the pretension of a big city. Um, it's much more affordable, and we grew up going to a lot of our bigger shows and a lot, you know, in DC. Yep. Um, so grew up with the whole Discord. Um, Nine thirty club. Yeah. Nine thirty, yeah. Nine thirty club, Black Cat. Yep. Um, and then just grew up going to a lot, you know, listening to a lot of Discord bands, um, Simple Machines, like Indie Rock Flea Market. I mean, yeah. that was like a huge. It was awesome. I mean, it was the best. Right. The best. The, the best area in which you felt like you could have different touchstones musically that are like somewhat I mean I wouldn't say easily accessible but accessible because of proximity oh definitely it was just it was a cool place to grow up and it was it was awesome I what, loved it. what was your uh, what's your family structure like brothers and sisters what does your mom and dad do I'm an older brother okay and uh and uh, two, my parents are still together. They are. Uh, they immigrated from Korea to America in the '60s. Okay. They're both academics. My dad is a math professor. My mom was the one of the directors at medical library for Johns Hopkins Medical School. So total so nerds. So pretty, pretty underachieving. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no. I know, it's really funny, like the whole tiger mom phenomenon. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard all about the tiger, and I was just like, I don't get it. Is it? Didn't everyone grow up that way? Like, I didn't understand right. it was like a thing. Right, like, right, right. I mean, like, I, and I mean, I'm a, I definitely understand that I grew up in a really specific and weird way, but like, sure. you know, like Stephen Covey's uh, Hab- Seven Habits Seven of Highly, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. I went to that seminar when I was 12 years old, okay? My parents sent me to that seminar. Everybody right. else was like 45 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would send me to all these like problem-solving workshops and like, totally. they were really invested in um, expanding my my skill set and uh-huh. giving me the tools to be a creative and um 
and successful person. Uh-huh. And the cool thing about them, as opposed to, I think, like the negative stereotype of like uh, hardcore Asian parents, is that right. they really um, they gave me everything that they could in terms of like developing me as a person. And then, uh, then when I was an adult, they literally were like, okay, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, really? Like, I thought that they were really, you know, you feel like a lot of pressure. You felt felt like the other shoe was going to drop at some point. Yeah. Like, like, where's the hammer going to come down for like, okay, clearly I need to be a lawyer or doctor. Yeah, totally. I just thought they'd be really disappointed in me (laughs) if I wasn't, you know, really successful in a way that they understood. And it was really awesome. And like, one of the first moments where I really felt awed, you know, yeah. that uh, that I, re- I was like, well, my parents really love me and they really just want me to be um, a person with a lot of integrity and, uh-huh. def- and they value what my creative output is. They value what I want to do with my life and they trust me to make those decisions and they really are just cool with whatever I want to do. And I was like, that is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that, that you can have that, that that thought process fires off in your head where it's like, that's not tip like that's people no matter what cultural cultural you come from parent that's not an encouragement that parents like maybe yeah. they foster the environment yeah. but that's not something they explicitly say where it's like all right you're cool to do whatever you want yeah. you'd be like what or like people will say that but they don't they're like you could be a trash man but they don't really mean that you know <laughs> right 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 and uh but so but I, but I presume I, I presume it was a strict upbringing but the the like you said I, I like the way that you put it where it was like Tools, you know, they they had you do a lot of these things yeah. that are obviously not typical of your, yeah. you know, your 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 childhood experience. But th- those were they they felt like they were tools, like, yeah. As opposed oh, definitely. to, they weren't doing it for because um, they wanted validation from anybody else. They didn't, uh, you know, a lot of times in um, Asian communities, very competitive, oh, yeah. uh, a lot of gossip, a lot totally. of like parents like jockeying. My parents are not like that. My parents were literally just wanted me to be able to develop like the most do the most of my potential as humanly possible uh-huh. and uh that's it they they never got caught up in the status they never really got caught up in you know what other people's sure. perceptions were yeah. you know they really just oh like, she oh yeah she she she's yeah. going to be getting a 4.3 like this is what you know yeah. this is all of that that's yeah surrounded. and i mean they expected that of me right but because i was capable of it not because um, everybody up that because I had to prove something. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah, for yeah. them. It was always for me. It was always about pushing my, teaching me to learn. You know, to push myself to my utmost capacity. Like that's what they really try to do. And sure. so I grew up. Um, yeah, pretty strict upbringing. Um, but very, I pr- but I presume you didn't like. Did you feel like it was strict, or did you feel oh, like yeah. okay? Uh, totally, <laughs> I definitely felt like it was strict. Okay, but very strict in a specific way. They're sure. very disciplined. They were very disciplined yeah. um, and very. I mean, I never got to you know summer camp. You get to go and then be in the tent and uh, oh, sure, row the yeah, canoe. Yeah. I never got to do that. Right. I was always in like self paced trigonometry or some like you yeah, know yeah. some. You were crazy. in summer school. You yeah, were, yeah, we were doing like hardcore. I took the SATs every year from like third grade till <laughs> I graduated high school. You know, like it was very hardcore, but very like uh, very education based. Sure. I started playing music when I was four. Um, Were your parents musical, or did no. they just—they just felt like that should be that's, a thing. That that's you like what Korean people do. You you play the piano, you yeah, play yeah. a string instrument. I, I play the say, piano yeah. and the cello. Right. But my parents are actually very creative and very artistic. My mom is an amazing artist, amazing okay. painter. She is retired now and is basically is just completely obsessed with photography. She's yeah. an amazing photographer. My father is extremely creative. Um, 
both he's just like the, he's like a next level right. Dalai Lama type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're me. like you're you you're on a different plane. Than the yeah, rest of he's us. just like a. I mean, he's my ultimate role model. I That's mean, amazing. And he really uh, he lives what he preaches, and I think that was like the most the greatest thing that he could ever. Uh-huh. That's the best thing you can ever give to your kid because then everything that you say. Mm-hmm your kid can actually believe you because you actually are what you're saying. Oh, totally. And yeah, I, yeah. I never really valued that until I was much older. Well, and yeah, you, know, you have no perspective. You have no perspective, no, yeah. No, 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 no. And, uh, no, he's awesome. Like, he does, he's very into metaphysics. He's very into creative processes, creative thinking, creative sure. problem solving. Not even cre- yeah. beyond problem solving. Right, right. He is solving yeah. large problems. He's right, just right. like, there are no problems. There is no spoon. <laughs> That's, like, how my dad is. Like, oh, yeah, He's yeah, totally, yeah. Like, like, on another wow. plane. Yeah, he, right. uh, he's, like, super inspirational to me so um you know that i grew up in a very creative uh atmosphere mm-hmm. but very very disciplined sure. and very... you had to, you had to kind of the way that you're describing it you had to stay in your lane like you know yeah. the, you were being introduced to awesome stuff within yeah. that lane yes but you had to stay in that lane. and it was very productive i mean our yeah. family was very <laughs> focused on yeah. production productivity sure and uh discipline and right. um yeah so i'm sure i'm sure you were just playing a ton of video games <laughs> Yeah, well, I did that too, you know? <laughs> okay. So yeah, I really, I think I really loved pop culture because I, I really got to um, exoticize it. Like, people watching TV and, like, doing stuff like that. Like, right. I, it was such a treat. I would have to, like, sneak around and watch TV and sure. watch movies. So I think for me, I really then um, was so in love with pop culture yeah. because... Uh, it wasn't afforded to you exactly it wasn't right. it wasn't so easily accessible to me but um, at the same time like my for example so I went to Princeton for undergrad right I no, no big deal I <laughs> I was basically trained from a little kid I mean when I was four years there's footage of me as a very small child yeah. saying I'm gonna go to Princeton. Go to Princeton, right, yeah. right, right. That was the track. Yeah. I didn't even visit the school. I didn't know anything about it, which is, you know, to my detriment. You know. Sure, but that was that was what you were gonna do. But right? I just never thought of, you know, I just never, no, never thought yeah. that I was gonna go anywhere else. So, um, but what's so cool about it is, like, you know, I I applied early. I was accepted. When you do that with Princeton, you're locked in. That's the school you're gonna go to. Right. My parents. Um, we had this deal, you know, when I get into Princeton, like I I can do whatever I want, and they were totally true. To that, that, word. Bargain, yeah. that year, I went to so many shows. I was out till four in the morning. Yeah, yeah. it killed you, them. You were cramming all of that stuff in oh, your totally. head. Totally, it killed them. But you know, they <laughs> they let me do what I I did whatever I wanted to do, and they right. were really cool about it. And I mean, I always wanted to play. I played in a bunch of bands in high school. I. I always had lots of activities. They always let me do what I wanted to do. Right. But um, I always had to handle my business first. Sure. So sure. I think that they gave you, they gave you a leash, but it, it was it, it was a leash. It was yeah. one that they obviously could bring yeah. in if need be. Yeah. They just uh, you know they really trusted me, <laughs> yeah. but um, they also really cracked the whip because you know I think this is the case for a lot of kids who are smart mm-hmm. um, you're really lazy because oh, yeah. it's, it's really because it comes easy right, it right, comes right. easy and they they really were careful to make sure that I wasn't lazy sure. because that was my natural state back then I, so, I have to say well you know? I, I, I don't think that's a very unique experience I mean I think kids I mean when you're that when you're of that age, that's kind of what you want to right. do. When it's like when you're like, well, if I don't have to work that hard to get this B, why would I work like that much harder to get an A? Like yeah. that's just your mentality because it's like, yeah, you don't you don't care. <laughs> yeah, you just don't care. You no, know? yeah, yeah. Um. So, but what was what was also really cool is that I could have been a very like straight and narrow um, 
to like achieving Asian right stereotype. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, what was so cool is that they really encouraged me to be really creative and really. I, you know, I went to art school. I did a lot of um, like art classes and schools sure. while I was growing up, and just did a lot of really creative things growing up. And and my best friends to this day, I mean, none of them, I mean, almost none of them went to college. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so what was cool is that I was able to um, have a understanding of how the system worked mm-hmm. and what I needed to do to be succeed within the system sure but um never really put that much value on it sure. and yeah because yeah. um, well, think- you saw yeah if you if you're able to see other people do things you know coloring outside the line so to totally. speak then you're just like oh like i can play this game but like it's not it, that's not the most important thing so in that case, in that sense i just ended up becoming like uh got to have a real 360 uh-huh. you know kind of view of the world and that's right. that's really served me at least and it's really informed me I mean I think my whole life has been a about a you know sort of two opposing forces like a anti definitely I was very punk I was very anti I was a very that, hard that, kid to have that, that's, what, that's what I was going to bring up where it's yeah. like the, the, the idea that like you know once because I imagine, like, in, in early high schools when independent music started to come yeah. into your mm-hmm. life, how did it get introduced to you? Um, I went to a record store, a local record store, Soundgarden. Okay, yeah. And I just became friends with the, the record store dude and yeah. uh, got really into, you know, he actually really introduced me to a lot of bands. He's cultivating, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then met other people through, you know, those rec- buy those records, going to the shows, and then yeah. met all my best friends that way, and... So just and so when you when you started to get into that because obviously it's not something that any parent would ever understand mm-hmm. especially from you know an yeah. older generation you know how did that sit with your parents where they're just like what is this weird shit that she's bringing home uh, or is it like well I guess never talk to them about it <laughs> just kept that kept yeah those man compartmentalized yeah, 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 yeah. total compartment I mean I kind of generally talked about it but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know at the end of the day like I'm not gonna broadcast this. yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah, yeah. my parents were busy too but they were cool I mean like when I was like I was a junior in high school or maybe a senior I forget yeah, I went yeah. to prom with a shaved head my, my mom was totally cool with it it killed her because right. she's Korean she wanted me to be very feminine of course but uh she also I think my mom really was a lot more revolutionary a lot more rebellious um, especially for her generation, she was very strong and very independent. Uh-huh. Um, so I think she really understood that. She part saw of where me, you were coming from, even right? though she would be giving me conflicting messages about it. Right. I th- I see that now more as a result of her generation as opposed to uh, what she really believes in her heart. You know, right, right, right. So, She's like, I think I need to do this as a parent, but at the same time, I put myself in my daughter's shoes and yeah. I see where she's coming from. And... I mean, she's a product of her culture and her upbringing. Sure. And, um, you know, she grew up in Korea. It's different. Yeah, yeah. It's, just different, it's completely different. Yeah. And so, then, so you, you you played in bands and you did so you did that in high school. Mm-hmm. You were playing drums, right? In uh, those bands, I played cello and keyboards. Okay, what was the, so? What was the I first first band that you played a show with? Uh, <laughs> and I, a show can be defined loose. Like, I mean, that could obviously be probably. A I think it was my this band called Mayula that I was in with the okay. dude from the record store, Jeffrey Alexander. Okay, and uh, Brendan Fowler, who is an artist, and I actually was in a lot of bands with Brendan. Okay, um, he also does a. a 
music, rap, performance thing called Bar, which okay. probably people know. Sure. Um, and uh, that was probably our first performance. Then me and Brendan were in another band called Albany, New York. That okay. was like, we did a lot of weird, like, I was going to say, it sounds very avant-garde. It yeah. Sounds- we were real weirdest. We were like weird noise bands, basically. Right. And then we were in another band, uh, what was the third band? <laughs> Oh, Bywater, okay. which was awesome. That was me and Brendan and Jeremy Devine, who runs Temporary Residence. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, that record label. I love Jeremy. So um, we did that band. Then I had another band. I don't know. There's a lot of bunch of yeah, yeah, projects. Yeah. But well, <laughs> I played drums in a band called Castro. That was in New York. That okay. was awesome. So it's, it sounds like all, all the stuff you were, you were contributing to musically... Because um, typically, like, your first band is, you know, should be something, like, pretty rudimentary. Like, right. either, like, you know... No. Yeah. You we were... just got straight weird from the get, you know? That's impressive. You're just like, no, no. We're not going to play, like, a three-chord punk band. We're no. going to... We're going to bum people out by playing this punk show because we're this weird experimental... That's what I'm talking about. That Baltimore's so cool like that. I know. It's, it's Baltimore true. Baltimore has a rad experimental music scene. It's, it's just... You just got to be a total weird... I mean, look at Animal Collective. Those yeah, dudes yeah, are yeah. so weird. The fact that so they're weird. so successful now is so awesome to me because they really have not um, uh, compromised on their weirdness, sonic no. weirdness, like on any level, and it's so awesome. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's yeah. how... That's no, that's true. I, I, there, there are certain, certain scenes within the country that obviously that embrace that idea of being, you know... Uh, you know, avant-garde or experimental. Like, yeah. I mean, I think like Richmond, Virginia, like Montreal, like certain places in North America yeah. that have more of a scene for that than like your typical like you know LA or New York, where it's like, yeah, you have those pockets still, but yeah. your typical show experience is going to be like, what is this band and what the hell are they doing? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, for me too, it's just indie rock and punk rock. It's so much more than the it, the music was obviously the heartbeat through it all. Sure. But it was everything. It was the community. It was the friends. It was the ethics. It was the. It was such a force in my life, and it really, it totally demystified the whole creative process for me. I say this a lot, but yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, it's kind of like what a lot of people say that the Ramones did for them. It was just like, oh, I can make, I can be in a band. I can press a record. I can cool. do whatever. These are attainable. These are all attainable, and you just have to do it. I mean, it really was like a the. DIY um, mm-hmm. ethic was that was it was such a part of my life and that's why it's not um, surprising to me at all that I'm a small business owner right and I know, it's also not surprising to me at all that there's a huge like a new generation of small business owners that are really attached and really passionate to their products and to their companies and that are really influenced in creative cultures there's nothing more creative than being a, a business owner so, it is the yeah, most yeah, yeah. challenging thing of course there's so many challenges to it and um, because I've been talking to a lot of small business owners recently I'm, I'm trying to uh, mobilize them to do a, an event later this year okay. um, I've just been so inspired by it because I talk to these people and I'm like these are my people yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to be an incredibly passionate person to be a small business owner because it is just so insanely hard. Totally. That if you can't, I always say the number one piece of advice or the number one thing that I, I tell people who are have businesses or who want to have a business, it's always about stoke management. You have to be able to find that stoke yeah. and you have to be able to know why you care about it and what you love. And you, if you can't access that mm-hmm. and you can't, it's so easy to get bogged down by it. Totally. And to get trapped and just putting out little fires and and to be really uninspired and you have to be able to 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 find 
that flame mm-hmm. and and that's why it's so cool to hang with other business owners because they really they just know it's yeah, 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 so yeah. real it's right. just, you can't be it's, more no, real yeah, it's, it's ingrained you feel it you, I mean you've you talk to a person for five minutes and you can definitely tell like where their interests, passions, like it, it all, it just bleeds over everything totally. they do. And, and I think a lot of times when you, when you are in corporate America and you know, I've had a corporate job before right? and, uh, I did a lot of brand consulting and trend forecasting and marketing consulting uh, back in the early two thousands, right when I was out of college. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's just really easy to get disassociated from, um, people and culture and, you're just you're in. That wasn't my the lifestyle for me, you sure. know. Uh, but it's so weird to think because like my whole background really like would have led me to something a little bit more structured and more bureaucratic and more corporate. But um, my academic background, right, excuse right. me. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was never for me, man. Right, just right. Was well, because it's it, my thing. It's interesting that you you bring up that point because it, it it's true when you were look when especially when you work in an environment like that where it's like you know you're working with you know sometimes you know 10 to 15 people on a certain project you're usually taking like a very long view of something like a very large view um and usually when you're obviously you know running a small business like there's a lot of like you know i mean you have maybe like a year plan in regards to a project but it's like you're not looking at this like oh here's like a 10 15 year thing because you just don't have the luxury to do that because of time. It's interesting that you say that because I, I do definitely agree with that yeah, yeah, yeah. from that standpoint. Right. But on the other hand, it's, and in a corporation, you're looking at your marketing project for the year, for example. That's true. Your marketing plan. And when you're the SVP of marketing, yep. um, what you care about is your metrics and your numbers. Totally. So you're going to get your metrics and your numbers for that year. You're going to get uh, uh, promoted to being VP of marketing or whatever, right. CEO of whatever, something, sure. CMO. Right. And um, so you really only care about the numbers for that year. Or that That's one true. Or two yeah, your deliverables, right? Your right. deliverables, and um, you can never actually really get deep within the culture because you're just. These are it's it's a it's a conveyor belt. It's like, a conveyor belt, exactly. Right. And um, with a smaller business, yes, you're way more flexible and you're way less locked in, which is awesome, right. but also you know stressful. Yeah. Um, but you can be more detailed about stuff and have more subtlety and have more nuance totally. on the level that. Uh, a corporate company but this is what makes me sad because I look at all these corporate companies they have so much money and so many resources and I just think to myself oh man like give me like what one tenth of that yeah I'd be able to achieve a lot you know a lot of people are like oh how do you feel about um you know certain companies ripping you off this happens all the time of course big companies yeah yeah. they should not be yeah of course why why, why would you give them that's fine you know um and and I always say, like, I don't really care if people steal our ideas. I got a million of them, you know. Of course. <laughs> do enough something else. And they always they always do a cheesier version anyway, so it doesn't bother me. Right. What I do hate when they see the idea of the trade show and then they produce it faster than me. Um, so then that's it looks true. like I'm following them. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Whack. You're like, that's not... That so rude. Bad. It's yeah. just rude, you know. It's rude. And, what like, my sales rep once, um, my old sales rep, Yeah. he wasn't even working with me anymore, but he's our friend. Um, he... He saw the head, the head of design of one of these companies and was like, and he knows him. He's like, hey, what's up? You know, why'd you rip my girl well, yeah, off? Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah. And the guy goes, dude, it wasn't me. But not, dude, it wasn't me. Like, we no, didn't we do didn't do that. that. It was, 
I know right. who did it, but it wasn't me, so don't look at me personally. Right, totally. That's insane, dude. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, the thing that is disappointing to me is that, oh, man, like, I looked up to a lot of these companies as a kid, you know? Yep. These were rad companies to me. Like, they, they are legitimately and authentically part of, of culture. Right. So... I should be ripping them off. Totally. Like, they have so much money and so much access. Like, I want to be copying them all of the course, time. Of course, of course. Right, right, So that's why it's, I mean, it's just disappointing to me because I'm like, you guys should be the leaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should be the little guys who are like, totally. you know we're, I mean? we're, follow, we're following versions of what you are doing. Yeah. I'd totally. much rather it be like that than, you know. The way that it is. It's yeah. so sad. And, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's the only thing that disappoints me because I'm just like, man, I expected more from you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the, can I say? The um, so as you uh, speaking to like the you know corporate environment, obviously mm-hmm. the uh, you know as you were matriculating through school, mm-hmm. um, was the you know was the focus that obviously once you graduated because you went to Princeton and you did you went to Stanford, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you matriculated through school, was the focus of like I can't wait to leave here to start something, or no. was it? You just were just focused on school. Well, when I was in college, I was deeply depressed. Yep. I despised my time in college. Princeton. Like bo- both Princeton and Stanford? No, no. I like okay. Stanford. Okay. Uh, Princeton. We're probably... I'm probably going to get some weird... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're liking them. They, they find me everywhere. I will move. I, they put on an alumni... Alumni thing, yeah, of thing course. every week. Yeah, yeah. Every I, week? Every week, dude. That's how big their endowment is. I will move. I will never tell them when they move. Yeah. Somehow that magazine finds me no matter where I go. It is crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, Princeton... You know, it was... I messed up. I did not... Like I said, I didn't think about it. This was a... The number one lesson that I learned sure. growing up from Yeah, you college, jumped you jumped in just because that was something. Because that's right. what I thought I was supposed to do. Right. You know? And uh, and for as punk as I thought I was, like, I obviously wasn't that punk. You know, <laughs> I, I pretty much just did what I thought I was supposed to do. Like, I thought I could... I, I really lived in these two worlds. Totally. And that's why I love my life now is because there's only one world, you right, know? Right, um, But it really took some doing to, like, combine those two sides of, of my life. Sure. Um, but... Yeah. Princeton, I was deeply depressed. Um, I I was so had been coming off of high school with all my friends, all Animal Collective dudes, friends. Everybody was sure. so pumped. We're uh, yeah, community, yeah, right, community. Right. We're going to shows. My parents would go out of town. I would throw huge shoes. I literally just got a text from Brian from Animal Collective where his wife had gone through this old box of old stuff and she found this invite that I had made. Oh, where, fly, sure. Uh, my parents had gone out of town. I had made a fly. I threw a big party at my house, okay. a show. It was like basically four side projects of bands that now are Animal Collective. Sure. And I think my band played. And yeah. um, the invite was like made. I handmade the paper for the did. invite. I uh, like recycled it, our like junk mail and like blended it in the blender, pressed the paper into like some window screen, handmade yeah. it, um, had all these different pages. I mean, I mean, it was like amazing. It, you know? it, it sounds very much like the, because an equivalent to the West Coast of what we were experiencing with that was like a, in record labels like Ebullition, where it was like, you know, they were putting out, and this was more like, it, it was like in Santa Barbara, where it was like, you know, they were 
were, you know, they were running their own distro, but it was one of those things where it was just like, you know, they were printing their distro catalogs on like completely recycled paper. It was like, your experience like completely embodies what they were doing as well. It was just, it was so awesome. You (laughs) know what I mean? Like that was what we were doing. We like made, I made like a huge vegan feast for everyone who came. Of course, yeah, yeah. And everyone had to take their shoes off because in my Korean household, you don't wear shoes on our carpet, you know? So it was like, you know, all these kids came to my house and, and saw this like, Epic show, right? With no shoes on, eating like yeah, you know, vegan, vegan right. food. You know, oh, this is so cool. Like that's what I was coming from with all this energy and all this joy and all this community. And then I went to college, and it was just I presume the, just isolating. It was very isolating, and right. I really just didn't relate. And I was deeply, deeply depressed. Mm-hmm. But in typical me fashion, I was like, oh, I can't complain about this. I need to make. If I, if I want something to happen here, i got to make it happen. So I book okay. festivals there every year. I got involved with the radio station. Oh, okay. I booked, like, Modest Mouse. Like, uh, sure. they played my first freshman year festival. I think that was, like, the first year they went on tour. Right. Um, whatever. Had great shows. Whatever. Yeah. But I was really... Um, I just was trying to live in college. You know what I mean? I was yeah. going to New York. It was an existence. Right? Yeah. I was yeah, going yeah. to New York. I was trying to just find my people Mm -hmm. I was playing music I was booking shows I was just trying to do anything that was cool and to this day even when really horrible things happen to me things that are very challenging I always say to myself at least you're not in college anymore and I immediately feel better right right right. I immediately feel better that's how much I dislike college (laughs) right 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 that's that's what you can hold on to where it's like it's not as bad as that yeah I I just hated it it was just not for me and so is that that why is that why you obviously felt like you needed the change of scenery and going to Stanford or is that just like no so then what happened after I graduated college I escaped I was so stoked I went immediately and I I basically the whole time I was at Princeton I would just go to New York constantly I would go to Baltimore and DC I would drive down stay with my friends and I would go to New York like all the time and it's really cute actually because um, you know like talking I was was talking to Brian again recently or this was like a few years ago and he Uh was just saying like like my 24 like people would come I would always have these parties or these events and people to bring people of course to Princeton or bring people to where I am come visit me yeah I'm I'm definitely like uh, one of those people who likes to do that who likes to bring things together sure and um, it's funny because Brian who was going to school in New York he went to Columbia Mm mm-hmm like I always was like, man, why didn't I go to school in New York? I totally blew it. And he was just, and he was just saying to me, like, oh, you know, college was. I'm so glad that um, some of my favorite hangs that I remember from college were with you going to Princeton to hang with you. And I'm like, dude, you're in the city. Like, yeah, yeah, you're like, like that was what? the highlight, man. Like, what are you talking about? My highlight was leaving this place yeah, under all circumstances. Totally. So it, I guess it just goes to say it doesn't matter where you are. Like, it can be isolating. Mm-hmm. College is just an isolating time, I think, for a lot of people. And yeah, it's tough. I just think, you know, school, I was always so good at school. Never occurred to and my you know, my parents are academics. Never right. occurred to me um, to, you know, question whether I actually liked being in school. Right. You I just, hate yeah, school. Right, you just did it, right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not into school. I'm so glad I'm never going back to school. Right, right, that doesn't right. mean I don't like taking classes or learning things, yeah. but the whole concept of school for me, like, I'm just way more 
want to just get in it and, and learn course. in a different learn, way. You, yeah, you the structure learn by school, doing. Yeah, structure school is not for me. Right, right. Um, and, which is funny because I was always just really good, really good at it and, uh, and I so, just and, never valued it, you know? And so you, you, did you did you have a general focus on like, okay, once, once I leave college, I'm going to do this. Like, okay, this so I, I was really involved in music during college right. um, with radio station shows booking show everything. did you want to be in the music industry from that perspective? so i thought for a second oh should i should i go work for a label or something totally and then i was like no not so much i don't want to do that because i don't want to i don't i don't know i just wasn't into it i just okay. thought i was getting jaded i just didn't want to do that okay. so i left college once i graduated college i moved to new york which was amazing and um, I got, I started working for Faith Popcorn, who's a futurist, and I did trend, and I interned for her during school. Okay. And uh, so I started doing trend forecasting, youth marketing, that kind of stuff. Got this it. was like the early stuff. And sure. then I did that for, it was only a year, and then uh, 9-11 happened. Sure. And I was in the city. I mean, I saw the, I saw it all. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, and, oh, actually, right before I worked for Faith. I forgot that this is very important. This is formative. This right. is formative. <laughs> I worked for a small business, a maternity clothing company called Pumpkin Maternity. Okay. It was run by Pumpkin Wentzel and Charlie Ganza, who were in the band Governor. Oh, okay. And Pumpkin, um, who I love, uh, Pumpkin also was on the cover of the 1996 X Girl catalog, which X Girl was a huge influence on me. Sure. Governor was a merge band, a merge record band. Okay. I love Governor. Um, and so I worked for them, and it was, and they were really creatives, and uh, and I saw the reality of having a small business, how hard it was. Right. But I was really good at it, and I was really good at helping them. I was, and and it was so awesome to work there, and they were the best bosses ever, and I right. loved it. And to this day, how I run Keep, how I am as a boss, uh-huh. um, was definitely influenced, influenced by by, yeah, by yeah. Pumpkin and Charlie. So 9-11 happened. Actually, right. Charlie and Pumpkin, like, lost their car. Like, it got... Destroyed. Uh, destroyed. Right. You know, it was just a very heavy scenario. Of so course. then I just started thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? So I actually applied because that was my fallback. Go to school. That's what I do. Right. That's what I'm good at. So I applied to a bunch of law schools and because um, everyone had always told me they thought I would be a great lawyer. Uh-huh. And, um, again, another thing that I didn't really think about at all. <laughs> and uh, and I applied to business school, but I only applied to one business school because I didn't think I was going to get in because I'd only had one year work experience. Right. I'm like, And typically to go to a, a top business school, you have to have four, business, four years of business school, okay. uh, of work experience. Of work experience, yeah. So I didn't think I was going to get in, but I just applied anyway. Well... For some reason, I got in, and it was really cool. And I thought about going... I got into a bunch of law schools, too. And a lot of my college roommates... All of my college roommates, actually, are lawyers. And uh, none of them sent me that stiff. So I was like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I don't like, want to go to law school. Right, right. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to business school. But I ended up deferring a year. Okay. And um, I was doing... Working for Faith at that time and, and doing all this trend forecasting. And, and mm. it was really like a dream marketing job. Right. And... I could have stayed there, and I actually really, truly, and I, lo- I was playing in this band Castro. My best friends were. I was sure. having the it time was a good, of my life. It was a good environment. So I was right. awesome, golden era. Right, right. Um, but I really, really disliked working in corporate America and doing um, trend forecasting and and just culture stuff for corporate America because uh-huh. it just seemed so. I hated having to spend so much time explaining to people why things were cool or why things were meaningful. Oh yeah. Um, I just didn't like. I it's, just, it's 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 you. When you're in that position of trying to bring, trying to not only convey a feeling, but 
be able to articulate something that is really difficult to articulate yeah. when a person has never experienced it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you know, it's like explain explain the idea of like, you know, or like going to a show, not a concert, but a show, and yeah. you're just like, where do we even fucking begin? Yeah, you know, it's like either you, if you know, you know. <laughs> right, you know, totally, you know. totally. But also like having to deal with the bureaucracy of having like one, one, um, the CEO like approve, but then that's coming from the top. So then the SVP of marketing resents you and right, um, right. having to get approval within the, the, All the corporation. Layers, it yeah, just yeah. sucked. I hated it. It yeah. felt so fake and lame. Totally. But um, I did some really cool stuff. I got to get funding for um, the skate shop Autumn. They built um, the Autumn Skate Bowl, which is legendary and still, yeah. you know, doesn't exist anymore, but it was an awesome, sure. awesome, you know, there's really rad things yeah, that there was produced. Yeah, there, there were things that you found, obviously, value in and it yeah. gave you the experience of like, oh, that like, I'm sure you were able to be like, okay, this is how I work in this environment. Yeah. It's like, not everything I do is going to be fulfilling, but... There are things that I can give back and be stoked on. I just always saw myself as, oh, you know, I, I'm I can be the bridge. I'm really good at this. I'll be the bridge. Yeah. But actually, I was just like, no, I don't want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be the bridge. <laughs> I don't like doing this corporate yeah. stuff. You know. Sure, sure. And sometimes I have moments where I'm like, oh, I think about what my life would have been if I'd stayed in mm-hmm. New York. I would definitely be have some huge marketing job right now, and probably could be a much more influential person and have a lot more resources. Um, but at the end of the day, I never regret my decision. I never regret having Keith. I love Keith so much. Sure, um, sure. And I think it was uh, fundamentally much better for my soul and for my identity and for my process as a human being to understand right. who I am um, than if I had gone, uh, than if I had stayed in this more corporate sure. well, it's track. A- it's a it's a long term happiness goal where it's just like yeah that if you were to stick on that track that was obviously available to you it, it might have it might have been cool for a certain period of time but then inevitably you would have probably hit that wall and then it would have just been like well what the fuck do I do now like this yeah, sucks I, I don't feel it I think it was kind of more just a, it would have been another thing where I was making an, an easier decision or sure. a decision that was more understandable to other people sure but to my own spirit and soul was not um, yeah, yeah, yeah. was not understandable so basically um, I got to this point where I was extremely burnt out and I was I was feeling very conflicted about the work and um and I had to make a decision. Do I go to school? Do I not go to school? Yeah. And I remember talking to the director of missions, and he was like, look, you can defer again, but I, you'll have to reapply, A. And B, he's like, in my experience, if you defer more than once, once you're not, not going to come. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I just I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? I, I need, I want to change. So right. I went to school basically because I was burnt out, and I okay. wanted to get away. Sure. So I went to school, he broke wanted, up the band. You wanted some time to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, well, because, I mean, school is a perfect place to be like, okay, like, totally. I, I am doing something, but yeah. it's not really involved in the real world. I'm yeah. building to something. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I bounced out of New York, broke up the band. My band was so bummed at me. That was, like, the big, hardest part. Really? Um, and I went to Stanford. I literally didn't talk to anybody for the first six months. I just, like, watched TV, went to school, um, and uh, slept. Sure. But actually, I worked the entire time I was in business school. Okay. So I actually was uh, doing consulting work still. Oh, okay. And so I would go to L.A. like every month um, and do a lot of work. Sure. Uh, 
at the same time. So I was resting and working, right, right, but whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and while I was at school, I, it really gave me the time. And it's, being in California was a very, very different existence for me as an East Coaster. Totally. And um, was that your first true, real experience yes. with the West Coast? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And it was uh, really difficult. But awesome. Sure. And sure. Um, I basically, yeah, then basically I started business school and then I, I kind of got my act together, got some time to think about what I wanted to do. And, sure. Um, I just knew I didn't want to go back to marketing. I didn't I didn't leave marketing to go spend $100,000 at Stanford to go back and have the same exact job. Right. You know? So, yeah, to re enter that workforce again. Yeah. Right. And then I was like, you know what? I don't have any kids. I don't have a mortgage. Like, let's do this. Sure. And, uh, yeah, then I started keep. Because to me, it's, it strikes me just in looking at the company and obviously like you know where it is now versus obviously where it started. The um, you know, I'm sure you were focused when starting keep, but the the, the way that it feels is like that it was never intentionally meant to be like a thing as far as like this huge thing. Um, and not to say that keep is obviously this huge thing, <laughs> but you know, but it, I mean, it, it's advanced now where it's like obviously like they're you know it's. It, you have an awareness that's obviously outside of you know what you probably initially maybe expected, um, or think, did you, or did you have a grander vision where it's like hitting the ground running like this? Um, I think I had a grander vision in the sense where I knew how I wanted to feel every day, okay. and that was the. Um, so you're just really selfish in starting a business. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I wish more people would be selfish because if they understood what they actually wanted, they'd be a lot happier and they wouldn't take it out on other people. Yeah, that's no, one of the it, things that I've noticed. It's, in it's my fun. Life. It's funny because it, I, I've never really thought about it from like doing something like you know starting your own business as, as essentially being selfish because like you said like it's 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 a feeling that you wanted to have in the work that you do like obviously working with something you enjoy is essentially selfish because you are you yeah know, you're pleasing yourself yeah but I never thought about it in those in those terms it's interesting my dad always said to me. Because I was always like, oh, how can I help, you know, whatever. My dad's yeah. always like, you know what, You need, just take care of yourself. If you take care of yourself first, that is the best thing you can do for the people around you. Sure. And taking care of yourself, not in the sense where you're being totally self-centered or whatever. Right, right. But I think, um, for me, what I have, what it has served me in my existence yeah, yeah. is that, uh, so I don't recommend this for everybody, but this, right. I'm only speaking from my, my perspective. Right. Um, dedicating a, a, dedicating your life to understanding who you are as a person and understanding what makes you truly inspired and feel connected to the broader universe and, and feel like a meaningful person and a meaningful, that you have a meaningful existence. Sure. If that's all you're doing is trying to understand that, and then if you're living your life in a way that is true to that, mm -hmm. you, I can never regret anything that I've done. Sure. I can't regret my life if that is the leading principle. Sure. And, um, and... Well, yeah, you could, you're, you're, because, I mean, something that's so, like, in, I mean, something that I've, I've personally been doing a lot of exploring myself is just, like, over the past, you know, year or two, where it's, like, the, you know, the identity that you have, and, like, yeah. what that actually means. And it's, like, people aren't afforded the time or the leisure to actually like ask themselves those questions yeah definitely I mean you're supposed to do that when you're young but when you're young you have no perspective yeah like you're just running around putting a bunch of yeah. stuff in your head be like oh it's all new and exciting and so then it's like when you do hit that you know between the ages I would say like you know 25 and 40 that's when you're in that weird middle ground of where you just start to like 
oh, like, what does actually make me happy and, like, make me feel like I'm contributing something or whatever, you know, whatever your prime motivator is. I think that was a real wake-up call for me because I was so, somebody who's always been so so assertive and so such an overachiever. It never occurred to me that I didn't actually know what I wanted. Yeah. And if you had told me that, like, oh, you don't know what you want, I would be like, what? I'd no. be like, this dude doesn't know nothing yeah, about yeah. me. I got, I got myself on lock. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm like, I could kill anything. You know, I was just so arrogant in, in, in the sense of like, I was not, I did not even know. Right. Let's just put it that way. I just know, I had no idea. I was so naive. Totally. And, um, it was, it's been really, really cool to see, to really confront a lot of those things and really try and understand like what I really, I understood that I didn't want to live a life where everything, where things were motivated by fear. And I'm not an, I'm not a particularly afraid person. I think compared to the average person i'm extremely less afraid right right, right yeah i think people when people think of fear they think of it as being this like oh you're nervous or you're scared or you're what right. but fear is also uh, uh it can be a much it's like a different it can be a much more subtle fear mm-hmm. uh, fear of failure totally. fear of not being not not starting something because you fear you're going to fail. Yeah. So many people don't do that. Yeah. And 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 when you say to somebody, "Oh, you're afraid of failing." They're like, "No, no, I'm just being realistic." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm being practical. Of course. But um, and sometimes that's true. Right. But a lot of times I think we're very controlled uh, in very subtle ways um, by just different systems that we haven't, that are put in place as training wheels as we're growing up. Right. But then we become so dependent on them, they become such a part of our life that we never even Totally. understand they that feel, they can be right. taken off. They feel, yeah, they feel good. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Just never... <laughs> I think we're also very um, incentivated, or incentivized and motivated as people to um, do things that we're naturally good at, mm-hmm. um, which makes complete sense and is totally practical and awesome, but uh, not always the most fulfilling, you know, yep. because it's it's very easy for you to fall into that trap of doing the same things over and over again because that's what you identify yourself as. Totally. And I think that that is a good basis and foundation, but I really encourage people to, to dig a little deeper and go to the next level to figure out like what they can apply those things that they're already good at to something that makes them genuinely more happy. Oh, totally. You know, I was somebody who really struggled with a lot of depression and angst growing up. You right. know, I was a very sensitive person like most people who are in yeah. anything creative, you yeah. know? And um, it took me years to to really try and understand like what would make me happy and right. what would make me a, a more fulfilled person and where that probably where that turmoil was coming from too. yeah definitely yeah, yeah. and uh, and a lot of it was just conflict cultural conflict um, again like I, I was saying I really lived two lives for a really long time and trying to figure out how to um, combine those in a meaningful way so yeah, that yeah. was well yeah, yeah you use I mean you use the word compartmentalize and I think that anybody especially when you become so engrossed in independent culture that is is presenting so many new ideas as far as like oh like from the way you eat to the way the government works like everything yeah. and you're just kind of like oh my gosh like everything's wrong like when you have all, all that coming into you 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 kind of have no choice but to react and that sort of like you can either you know be motivated inspired by it and that will last you for you know a short period of time but then there's you have to grapple with that depression that we're just like well what, a, what a, yeah it's, it's how easy. can I battle against this it's yeah, easy yeah. to get dark you know when yeah. you're a sensitive person it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah. easy to get dark it's easy you know? to go there yeah so um, you know that's always a challenge but I don't know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
heavy. It is. It is heavy. Uh, the last thing I want to hit on, just because obviously, like you know, now now that you know, Keep obviously has grown to a point of where it's like you know, I mean, you have obviously you have a storefront here in mm-hmm. LA. You have you know employees. Like it, this, it's it's you know, it's becoming more and more of a real thing, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, you know, I'm sure, and obviously with the idea of you know having uh, you know corporate ties as far as like you know just your own relationships and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Have uh, you know for one, have you been approached by people to do things that you've obviously uh, you obviously haven't done because it's uncomfortable to you? Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of just like you know, would, would you ever sell keep? Like, is there the sort of like the cashing in aspect of it of like right. you know somewhere would be like, oh, here's you know three million dollars. Like, would you be interested in that? Right. I think I'm a, I'm. Way more take it take things as they come. Now. Of course, yeah. Um, from the very beginning of Keep, it was it. it I wanted Keep to be something that would really um, fulfill me on a lot of levels, but right. I also right. really saw it as a business. Of course, and and now as it's developed and grown and become its own thing, I think I'm way more proud of what it has given me. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not from a financial perspective right, because right. it's been so challenging. Yeah. Sure, of course. Um, so. In terms of like you know what I what I could see, I mean I've definitely been in. You know it's so funny. Uh, you know people have asked us to do things that we didn't want to do, but I, I think maybe before I'd been like, oh that was so uncomfortable. No, I don't like this. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just I literally don't even remember anymore because right. it's just so like I don't care. No, right? Because you know? it's so inconsequential. It yeah, just yeah. doesn't affect affect me. I think for as a somebody who grew up punk, let's just. Generalize and say it that way. Yeah, yeah. I think when you grow up punk, it's very challenging because you, um, it's very easy to be cynical because you have grown up, um, as part of counterculture, as part of subculture. Yep. Therefore, everything about you is based anti something. Of course. You know, you're, you're anti something. But that leads to a lot of cynicism because you're always this opposing force. Totally. And I've kind of noticed now in this generation, what's been really inspiring to me and uh, with technology and a- access and everything is that uh, people are a lot more um, open and more excited and mm-hmm. more uh, positive in a way that's a lot less cynical. Oh, totally. And um, the punk part of me is the first thing I want to be is just is hate on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. totally. I'm like, fuck that. Oh, that's come so, on. Yeah, yeah. That's so mainstream. Where's, so, the, where's the fire in your face? It's so right. diluted. It's so boring. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. used to really, that would be my response. Sure, that's it's your gut reaction. That's my gut reaction. And now, I just no longer, I, I've really tried to focus on not looking at things that way. Like, sure. pro or con, anti, right. you know. It, it, yeah, I, I always found it's like, especially... I mean, because even though it's like I, I personally have always thrown labels on myself ever since I was, you know, 14, 15 years yep. old from straight edge to veganism, like yep. everything that you can throw on yourself. And I mean, both of those things I still am, but the, I never, I never approached either of those things with like, you know, this, 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 uh, overly, uh, oppressive manner to other people. Yeah. It, it, the idea of like being inclusive, cause like. I mean, you just look at it from the, the perspective of, you know, lifestyles and philosophy. People are going to want to join up with you if, for one, you seem cool, and for two, the lifestyle that you embody, you seem to enjoy. Yeah. And it's like when you are in that negative headspace of just like, oh, you're, you're always the contrarian. You're just yeah. like, oh, I'm not doing that because of this. Yeah. You're just going to seem like a buzzkill. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to know who you are and what you stand for and what's important to you. Um, but I think, uh, I guess for me with Keith, it's that I, I always wanted it to be inclusive. I never wanted it to be exclusive. Yep. I never wanted to be cool guy or hipster. Totally. You know, that was the 
number one yeah, 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 yeah. you know um, and I really wanted it to be a positive a positive and creative thing and when I say creative I mean that it it creates things right. you know it, it brings an energy that is constantly you know making things that's what I wanted I think that and I always used to say keep is the better ver- the best version of me I want keep to be the best version sure I will, like, I will strive to be like yeah keep. I want to be like keep. exactly I'm not like oh keep keep is uh, embodies Unikim's vision I'm like Unikim is trying to embody right. want, Keep's yeah, vision that's sure. what it's always been like I always want it to be better than me because yeah. I am a deeply flawed individual of course, you right, know right. um so you know, that's really like what I've always tried to do with the business. And, and, and I think being somebody who's plunk, yeah, there was massive guilt um, trying to make money. It's so hard to make money. Yep. Um, and there's a, a lot of guilt around making money. Um, totally. Around. Uh, well, you, you, <clears throat> you, the, 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 the defining uh, or the prevailing theme that I've always seen, especially it's like, you know, obviously it's much less now like we were alluding to earlier yeah. in regards to the idea of punk rock guilt and all that sort of stuff. But it's like. You, the, especially with the generation that we came up in, you had to be, you can be successful, but on everybody else's terms. Yeah. The moment that someone felt like you were being successful in a way that they felt uncomfortable with, that's, that's when it all came down. Yeah. Where it was like, oh, you're a sellout or whatever. Like all those ridiculous terms that, you know, essentially mean nothing now. Yeah. But it's like that, that, there's just always that trigger in our heads where it's just like, oh, like, yeah, I don't like... It's okay to make money at something that you do. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's funny that I'm even concerned about this since I don't make any money. So it doesn't even matter. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah, something yeah. that I talked to uh, my friend, Ray Potes. He runs Hamburger Eyes, a photo magazine and, mm-hmm. uh, like, basically just photo collective up in San Francisco. Uh-huh. It We're, you know, I think because we're so anti, a lot of times, like, we would be given opportunities or given certain things and we would just be like, no, that's yeah. bogus fuck that you know and just be such a hater about it instead of seeing it as an opportunity to really shape it and and contribute and and be positive and that's really something that we've really tried to to move away from but we've just discussed a lot as growing as individuals and and not being that way because a lot of that also then is us playing into the system if you're anti then you're still playing the rules and it's what I was saying before about my dad it's like oh uh, if you're anti the problem then you're still acknowledging that there's a problem like It's like, if you think you're a loser then or a winner, then you still think there's a game. And mm-hmm. I really just want to be in the mindset of there is no game. There is no problem. There is no spoon. Right. I want to be really free from that. And and I want to be motivated not by fear and instead be motivated by joy and what I'm excited about. Right. And so when I think about those things, I, I approach things in a very different way. Things aren't problems and then things are just uh, parts of a puzzle that are, you know, are a challenge, but like a fun challenge. Yeah, yeah. And um, the other thing that, you know, keeps been around for eight years. Like, we survived the gnarliest recession. Barely. Yeah. You know, we're so, it was so barely. Right, but but we're still teeth. here. Yeah. You yeah. know, we're, we're still here. And that's what I always used to say to Red. It's like, dude, we've been around for, Hamburger Eyes has been around for 10 years. And, and we finally, it's like, oh, we've actually done stuff. We're right, actually, we've lived through this. Yeah, and we, yeah, yeah. we're, we're real. We've, right. like, affected people. People get psyched. And, and it's it's so hard, I think, also when you're punk to, to give yourself any credit or to enjoy what you've built totally um and so i kind of was like you know what i don't want to do that either um so then i really started i had a real like sort of a uh, awakening or re yeah, yeah. Shift, Gave you a different perspective yeah, yeah shift yeah. in my consciousness during the recession because it was so i mean there were literally moments during that time that era where i was on my hands and knees like physically on my knees right just saying out loud 
I don't know what to do. Right. Like, I mean, and that's a that's a very I'm a very proud and very strong it's and a very experience. assertive person. That right. was a that was a heavy moment for me to be there. Totally. And uh, so I really try to think about. Um, what my definition of success and failure was and what was really important to me. And one of the things that I really thought about what I loved about Keep was, for example, so I was talking to my father about this and my dad was like, you know, you really need to be refocused and, and, and figure out where your joy comes from. He's like, look at your sister-in-law who had just had my nephew. Uh My nephew is a great kid, but like all kids, you know, they cry and they have problems and whatever. But He's like, look at your sister-in-law. She wakes up at the crack of dawn, no sleep, and she's... She, of course, the problems are still annoying or whatever, yeah. but she's so happy. She doesn't even think of them as problems. No, she just no, no. deals with it. Yeah, they're just scenarios. Because and, Yeah, they're yeah. scenarios. You know, yeah. and she's, he was like, that mother's love, that's like the perfect example of being of being motivated by joy, and that's what you how you need to live your life. This is the kind of stuff I can talk to my dad about. Yeah, this is what's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? I'm not, you know, I don't call my dad and I'm like, oh yeah, how's the weather? Yeah, hey, you know? this is awkward. Right? I'm like, I'm like, dad, who let's am get in I? the middle. <laughs> you know, that's why in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my mom, we talk about food and other stuff. My dad, sure. I'm like, dude, let's who, dive deep. Who am I as a human being? How do I exist? You know. And he's like, you really need to find that. So I really started thinking about, like, what do I love about Keep? Well, obviously, I love my customers. I love our fans. That They're so awesome. The people who love Keep love Keep, and I thank them for it. They're yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. They get it. Um, other things are like, uh, oh, I'm, like, I'm so proud of what we've done. I'm so proud of, like, uh, like when, I did the, when we did the Dinosaur Junior um, collab, yeah. that 7-inch, when I listen to that picture disc, tears come to my eyes because it's so beautiful. I mean, totally. that will give me, like, infinite joy for the rest of, of my course. life. Of course. You're like, this <laughs> yeah. This I can hold on to forever because we did this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one of the things that I love the most about Keep is I look at the people that I work with, and yep. we really, truly are a family. And yeah. I remember being young and being in my 20s and just thinking to myself, man, I just wish I had something to go to every day. I have so much energy. I have so much to give. And nobody sees that. Nobody knows where I can put that. Right. And I just wanted to be in something that I believe in and that I know is meaningful. And I know that I provide that for people who work for me. Sure. And, um, and when I think about them, so when we have a problem or we're stressed or, you know, something's yeah. gone wrong, when I think about them, I get so motivated because I'm so, and then I'm like, oh, these people who work here are so awesome the people who make keep keep are so rad right. like i don't even have a problem trying to figure out how to approach this issue or whatever whatever issue right. it is because it doesn't matter because I, I then i'm motivated by my love for the people that i work with totally and um I, I think there's a distinct difference in obviously the way that people you know start small businesses and and then obviously grow things and you know become larger than whatever they anticipated but like when you're when you are attempting to build a you know a business but essentially a community because yeah. it's like that's all you're trying to do totally you're you at the center of this community is a product um, which you know you can argue the same thing where it's like obviously the center you know of a band is music mm-hmm. and the community that they try to build around it right and it's like <clears throat> it, it's it's always about that focal point and obviously trying to create that sort of you know environment that's all totally. you want to do that's 
and that's what I that's what I meant when I said I thought about how I wanted to live my every day. Totally. I wanted to wake up every day. I know what it's like to wake up every day and not want to go to work. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, it's the worst. Right? I spent my entire childhood waking up not wanting to go to school. Yeah. And then I spent a lot of time waking up not wanting to go to work. And right. na- and when I started keep, I never feel that way. Yeah. I love going to work. Of I love the people I work with. I love what we're doing. Right. Um. I love my everyday existence. Like yeah. there's this uh, Khalil Gibran quote that I always think about where. He says, my everyday is my religion and my temple. And I think about that all the time because I feel like if you live your life in a way where you are happy to do what you're doing on a daily level and you make sure that on your daily level that things are good, that doesn't mean that it's not challenging. Of course. You know, on Monday we had 5,000, you know, boxes that we literally... And we're, we were all women in right. this, you know, uh, office yeah, yeah. at this moment. Sometimes... You know, my workforce fluctuates, but on that day, right. it's all women. We're, none of us are tall. We're, right. you know, we're moderately in shape. Right. We unloaded all those boxes. We killed it, you know, and yeah, it yeah. was gnarly and it sucked and we had like dust in our faces and we all felt horrible the next day, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's part of, that's part of having the business. Of course. And, and I loved it. So I'm not saying like every day is like some awesome, yeah, cool, hard. glamorous of thing. No, no, no. I'm just saying every day I get to work with people I love and we you feel the stoke and because yeah ultimately you feel the stoke that's what it's all about totally ultimately it's gratifying that's all you want to do um so that's why i love keep i mean i feel like i've learned so much i would never have taken the time or been forced to be i, I would never have been humbled i think the way mm-hmm. that i was by having this business right. which means i never would have looked inside myself to really ask myself what was important to me and what I valued. Totally. Um, if I didn't have this business. And for that, I'm forever grateful. And yeah. I, I ha- have literally no regrets about starting this business. I love this business. It's so awesome. Yeah. Um, and I hope it lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any better place to leave it than that. So thank you very much for hanging out. In this. Oh, totally. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So there you go. There is Una and her story and so on top of it, right? But chill at the same time. It's a very interesting yin and yang to her personality. And uh, yeah, I was just glad that she decided to take time out of her busy day to spend with you and me and all of the rest of the internet. So anyways, like I said, pay attention to next week because I'm I'm going to ask for your support. That's I'm just going to go out and say it. It should take a lot to put together. And I'm not launching a Kickstarter. I'll, I'll say that. I am asking for something in return from you. But it's a way that you can get involved with the show on a deeper level. And I don't know. I'm just really excited about it. But like I said, I wanted to launch it for this week. But then I was like, no, I got to give myself some more time. Got to get a few things sewn up, cross the T's, dot the I's, all that other good stuff. Honestly, it's just been really busy in my life. So I haven't been able to do that appropriately. But uh, next week will be Brittany Drake from Pity Sex, which I'm excited about bringing you two females in a row. How about that? Suck on that, sexist people who have emailed me. Not really suck it, but, you know, I just want... There are people out there that I, I'm not only focusing on males. I promise you that. So, yes, visit propertyofzach.com, 100wordspodcast.com. The producer for this episode is Tom Richfield. Fun stuff coming up with him. Yeah, until next week, happy two-year anniversary. Woo! Yeah! I literally have my arms in the air right now. I'm excited. I feel accomplished. Like I've gone through some sort of finish line, except the finish line is only another year's worth of shows. Maybe another... 10 years worth of shows. Anyways, thank you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart for joining on this journey. And I'll talk to you next week. Be safe, everybody. 